What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Success is not measured by the accomplishments you achieve, but by the adversity you overcome. In 2008, Heather Doradin, a collegiate athlete from the University of Minnesota, was leading the pack during the final heat of the 600-meter race at the Big Ten Indoor Track Championship. With about 200 meters left in the race, as they were running, the person right behind Heather, the young lady, um, Heather's foot, hit her foot, and she tumbled to the ground. Her chances of winning were no longer in sight. However, instead in that moment of giving up, instead in that moment of throwing in the towel and accepting defeat, Heather jolted up off the ground. And by the way, there was a gap probably about from me to the very door on your way out of the chapel, that far in between. And with 200 meters left, you could obviously assume that chances are very minimum. But she decided she was not going to give up And surprisingly, she began to gain momentum, and she caught all of the attention in the audience, especially after she passed the runner right in front of her. The crowd began to cheer with hope. The announcers began to cheer with hope, saying and shouting, watch out for Heather Doradin. And during the final 50 meters, Heather recalls that she hit a gear that she did not know she had. And she, in fact, did bridge that gap between the two out in front. And she passed her opponents and won just by literally fractions of a second. Success is not measured by the accomplishments you achieve, but by the adversity you overcome. You know, the Christian life is a lot like that race. At some point in your life, it may be at the very beginning, it may be during the middle, or it might be at the very end, but at some point in your life, you're going to stumble and fall. And we see the life of Jacob is no exception to stumbling and falling. But as I've been meditating in this one simple verse in Hebrews chapter 11, I've been reminded it's, it's not really about how you start What counts, it's really about how you finish. And today, I want you to understand that Jacob, he did not begin well. A clear reading of the book of Genesis reminds us that Jacob was a man of deceit. He was a man of subtlety. He was a man of trickery. He did not begin well. But what we find out of all the things the writer of Hebrews could have emphasized, I know, you know, he could have talked about uh, Jacob's ladder, that dream. He could have talked about the time when, when he wrestled with, with God. It could have been the time when he brought the, his own people from the land of Canaan all the way down to Egypt. But no, here we are. It seems to be a very obscure verse that he quotes from Genesis. And it's about the final moments of his life worship the title of my message today is simply the faith of jacob but if i could elaborate on that thought 
And if you could leave with anything today, this is the summarization of today's message. And I believe the summarization of the life of Jacob. Faith in God produces worship of God. That is, if you claim to have faith in God, you will have a life that exhibits worship of him. Faith in God produces worship of God. We are going today to go back to the book of Genesis and we are going to see not just how this verse ties into the whole story and account of Jacob, but we are going to very briefly and rapidly get a summarization of his whole life and see how his whole life is revolving around this thought that if you're going to have faith in God, it will produce worship of God. That is, if you claim to know Jesus, if you say you have faith in Christ, if you say that you believe that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again and that Jesus ascended up on high and he's coming back again to establish his kingdom, if you affirm that and declare that with your life, you will have the evidence of a lifestyle of worship to back up those claims. Now, that being said, here's the question that I began to wrestle with as I was studying the book of Genesis and studying this text. What does Jacob's faith teach us about worship what is this one verse what is this one life teach us about how we can worship God well today I want to draw your attention before we get into verse 21 of Hebrews 11 I want to take you back to the book of Genesis for our first thought here's the first lesson of faith and worship we can learn from Jacob faith produces worship because it has received God's forgiveness. Faith produces worship because it has received God's forgiveness. In Genesis chapter 25 and in Genesis chapter 27, we read about the deception of Jacob. Here is literally the beginning of his life where he's still underneath the leadership of his parents. They're living in the house. And in Genesis chapter 25, we studied last time how that there he took the birthright, the birthright from his brother Esau. There for a bowl of beans and pottage. Esau came in from a hard days of work and he was famished. He was hungry. He needed some nourishment for his body. And Jacob tricks him into giving him this bowl of beans and taking the birthright that he rightfully had as the firstborn. Deception marked Jacob's life. But it doesn't end there. In chapter 27, as we looked at last week in detail, Jacob is there, and Esau is there, and Isaac is an old man. His eyes are dim. He can't see very well. Perhaps he's fully blind or just extremely um, partially blind. But nonetheless, we see that, that, that his father... Isaac sends his son Esau to go get that venison and cook him a meal. And in the process, his wife gets Jacob to go get the meal and disguise himself as his brother and takes the blessing. We know God is going to sovereignly use this deceit for his purposes and plans. It should encourage you today that if you have a life 
especially in your past or even right now, that if you have a life that is given over to sin, God can step in and transform you and use your past mistakes for his glory, honor, and praise. What's interesting, though, is in Genesis chapter 25 and 27, Jacob's life begins with deception. And then it's interesting. As you begin to think about two major events that took place after Jacob leaves his father and mother's home, you will, dis- you will discover just by a clear reading of Genesis that what God often uses in our life, he uses our own sin to come back to hit us in the face again, to remind us that we should love God more than we love our sin. And then God can use that sin of our past to remind us of encountering that sin in our present of how horrible we were at one time. And so in Genesis chapter 29, 30, and 31, I'm going to summarize this section of Scripture for you, but, but you know the story here. Jacob is sent from his parents' home to go to Laban, and we see the deception of Laban begins to come on the scene. So just as Jacob used deception in his life to get what he wanted, we are going to see that God is going to allow deception to come knocking on Jacob's door when he goes to Laban's house. Could you imagine making all the right moves, landing the woman of your dreams, and you wake up the next morning to find out it's just her sister? I would say that would be a bad day. (laughs) But that took seven years to get. Seven years. So he goes and he says, well, Laban, man, um, I, I know he didn't write up a contract, but the agreement was that I was to get Rachel, not Leah. And he said, well, it's not our custom to give away the firstborn. So if you want Rachel, you've got to work another seven years. Can you imagine working for 14 years just to finally get the woman of your dreams? It's a lot. But it isn't in there. The whole time in Genesis 29, 30, and 31, we see that that just as Jacob at one time dished out these cards of deceit, now Laban is thundering down deception upon him. And finally, Jacob says, I've had enough. He receives a word from God and he begins to leave. But but as time goes on in his life, we see that that he first of all had deception of his own. Then he received, uh, excuse me, he received Laban's deception. But then, check it out now, his own son's. His own sons, time passes, and now they have, he has 12 sons. And, of course, we know that Rachel was his favored wife. And as a result, her firstborn was Joseph. And as a result, his favorite son was Joseph. It's obvious from the Bible. The Bible r- reminds us that his brothers did not like Joseph because his fa- their father favored Joseph. So they come up with a plan in Genesis chapter 37. You probably remember the story. They decide, well, we're going to get rid of this boy. We're going to sell him. And we're going to take his coat of many colors that he has made and his dream that he said he's going to lord over us and we're going to sell him off to the Egyptians, Midianite merchantmen to be exact. And so they do that. They sell him. He goes, 
But they take his coat, they kill an animal, they pour the blood of the animal on the coat, they go back to their father Jacob and say, Father, you're not going to believe this. But we were out in the field and Joseph was overtaken by an animal and it killed him. Here's the, the coat with the blood to prove it. And Jacob goes into some serious mourning. And it wouldn't be years later until he discovers that in Egypt there, Joseph, his son, is still alive. And so today, I, I want to I remind you that, that, that throughout, jo excuse me, throughout Jacob's life, he used deception and deception came back to haunt him for God simply to remind him that you need to repent and ask me for forgiveness. And there are a couple of times in Jacob's life that's recorded in Genesis that he goes to the altar and God blessed him with that forgiveness. So my friends today, why would I ever worship God? Why would Jacob ever worship God? Well, because he received God's forgiveness. It's not enough to just move on from the past. It's not enough to just take your past that you're not proud of and just throw it in the closet, turn off the light and lock the door. God can remove that past sin from his memory banks, all if by simply saying, God, I have broken your law. God, I have violated your commandments. God, I have trespassed in the territory where you said not to go. So God, please forgive me of my sins. I don't know where you are today, but if you have unconfessed sin in your life, today is the day to confess it. I don't know where you are in your life, but if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and His righteousness is not being applied to your account, my friend, you're in deep trouble and you need Jesus to forgive you of your sin. Faith produces worship because it received God's forgiveness. But what else does Jacob's life teach us about faith and worship of God? Well, secondly, and before we get into that, remember, faith in God produces worship of God. The second lesson I believe we can learn from this life of faith in Jacob still occurs before we get back to Hebrews chapter 11. But it's this, faith produces worship because it has retrieved God's faithfulness. Faith produces worship because it has retrieved God's faithfulness. Not only was there a time in, in Jacob's life when he received the forgiveness of God, but then he retrieved the faithfulness of God. Check it out now in Genesis chapter 28. In fact, if you want to turn there, please do. Genesis chapter 28, we see that that Jacob has just been sent. I know the chronology of his life is, we're not going to chron chronologically walk through his life today, so my apologies if that messes up your mind. I, I do apologize, but for the lessons that I have, we have to go in bits and pieces of his life to put it all together to learn, especially about God's faithfulness. But in, in Genesis chapter 28, we see that Jacob is, is, has left his father's home, and now he's on his way to Laban. But before he gets there, he lays down and he grabs a rock. Could you imagine, I know that the pillow you might think you have is no good, but imagine going out into the field and getting a rock and put it on your bed. Would you try that? I don't think I would. But the Bible actually says that, that he's there and he has a pillow as a rock. 
But in Genesis chapter 28, we read that he lays down, and as he's laying down in verse 13, the Bible says that he had this dream, and the Lord is standing. And God says to Jacob in his dream, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He says, and behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places wherever you go. And will bring you again to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to thee. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me that here in this moment, in this dream, this dream of Jacob's ladder, in fact, it's almost as if he's climbing up this ladder and he's getting a vision of God and hearing the voice of God. And there in this moment, we read that he is now receiving the promise that God at once, one time gave to his grandfather Abraham. And then that promise was passed down to his father Isaac. And now in this dream, God is passing this promise down to himself. Reminding us that God is a faithful God. Now keep in mind, keep in mind, Abraham had one son, Isaac, that the promise of the lineage of the Messiah would come through. And, the, and where the land, remember the threefold promise that God gave to Abraham was you're going to have a son, you're going to have a mighty nation of numerous people, and you're going to have a land to put that nation in. They've still yet to get all, all, all of them. The one son has, has arrived. His name is Isaac. And he's got two grandchildren, Jacob and Esau. And here God gives him this promise. And we know that Jacob will have 12 sons. And that Jacob will see the beginning of those promises coming to fruition. But in this chapter, we see that God gave him his faithful word. God's word carries much weight, my friends. The faithfulness of God is far more faithful than us. There might be a Sunday here or there or a Wednesday that I, I'm not standing in this pulpit. I'm not as faithful maybe as I should be. Now, before you get too carried away, there's going to be Sundays and Wednesdays where you're not in your place right there. And we're not all as faithful as we should be, but there's one thing that we can always count on. God is always going to be in his place and his place is in his throne in glory and he's always giving us his word. Then in Genesis chapter 32. So, this, this scene of this dream, Jacob's ladder, if you will. Then he goes to Laban. He works all those years, over 20 years, and now he's on his way back home. And, and he remembered his brother Esau. Oh, Esau. When I left, he hated me. He wanted to kill me. So I'm going to send him some gifts. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my peace offering to my brother. Yeah, if he would add Starbucks, he would have sent him a gift card. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Hardee's, I get it. You like Hardee's over Starbucks. But imagine, he sends them all these gifts, and in Genesis chapter 32, before they officially meet, God shows up to Jacob. 
I believe this is a theophany, a bodily manifestation of God incarnate before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And I think the reason why I know that is because of the language in which Jacob says he is saw or he's seen God face to face and my life is preserved. But in this, in this moment, now, now, now just imagine, if, if he was in, in, in the ring with, with The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, maybe that's before your time or I don't know, maybe you didn't watch WWE or WWF back in the day. But just imagine getting in the ring and wrestling one of those big, massive, buff wrestlers. Well, I, don't, I know I wouldn't stand a chance, so there's no reason for me to get into, into the ring. But imagine somebody far stronger than any wrestler on WWE or WWF. This is God we're talking about. Imagine getting in the ring and trying to wrestle with God. Well, Jacob left limping. I mean, if you could just, maybe you have a limp, I don't know. But if you could just imagine the rest of Jacob's life, he's walking with this limp. I think that's why the writer of Hebrews mentions that. He's just walking like this. He goes to meet his brother. Ah, can't beat him up now. Got a limp. But it's in this moment that God is going to use this, this hip coming out of socket so that God could remind him that I'm a faithful God. And today, as we look at this passage, the Bible says in this moment, as he's wrestling with God, he changes his name from Jacob, a deceiver, supplanter, one who is full of tricks, and now his name is Israel, the father of the Israelites. This is when he seemed to retrieved God's faithfulness. One more time he received the faithfulness of God. He's an old man and he's ready to die. The Bible is very clear on this. And he heard of a famine in the land. And in Genesis chapter 42 down to, down to chapter 46, we read about how the Israelites, Jacob's sons, and Jacob hears word that Egypt has food. And now you remember, Joseph is long gone. They think he's long since dead. And especially Jacob does. But Joseph has gone from that pit to Potiphar's house, to prison. Now he's in the palace. He's second in command in Egypt. All because when he was in prison, the, this butler and this baker had a dream. And one was going to live, one was going to die. And the one that lived, remember before Pharaoh about this guy named Joseph, and we'll talk more about his life next week, but you can't study both of these life without one of them without studying the other. And so he finally comes to Pharaoh, interprets Pharaoh's dream, and, the set, and it just represented there's going to be a time of famine and a time of prosperity. And the time of prosperity for those many years, it'll prepare us for the time of famine. And so Jacob eventually brings his children down, and, and when he realized in Genesis, that his son was alive, I'm sure Jacob had a heart attack. And I'm sure that his, his other sons and Joseph's brothers had even more of a heart attack. Because now they've got to come clean about their deception. And 
And in all of this, God revealed his faithfulness to Jacob. (laughs) Why would Jacob worship God? Well, because he's been forgiven by God. And because God has proved himself over and over and over again in the book of Genesis that he is a faithful God that we can trust and depend upon. Faith in God always produces worship of God. But what is the third lesson we can learn today? From Jacob's life of faith and worship. Well, now, if you would, can we now come to Hebrews chapter 11? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. Now, I shared all of that to lead up to this point because I don't think we can properly understand the writer of Hebrews unless we get the entire backstory. Thirdly, today, faith produces worship because it has believed God's promise. Faith produces worship because it has believed God's promise. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, the Bible says, by faith. Now remember, faith is total reliance and dependence upon God to supply your needs, especially pertaining to eternal life and the daily necessities. So it says, by faith, all these characters are now leading up to Jacob. By faith, and it says, when he was dying. Now it's interesting, in, in the book of Genesis, when, when Joseph and Jacob were, were, were finally, they finally met together, you would have thought it would have been this massive reunion. And the Bible does say that Joseph grabbed a hold of his father and hugged him, and he began to weep, and they began to have a crying um, fest. But then as soon as they were done crying, Jacob sits back and says, now I have seen you, Joseph. Now let me die. Do you remember that? But the interesting thing is, is Jacob lived another 17 years in Egypt. Jacob was a man who was ready to go. He was ready to walk through that doorway of death. And let me just share something with you. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're like, well, you know what? I think it would just be a lot easier for me to just go on and be with God in eternity. I'm going to tell you something. You're only going to walk through that doorway when God is ready for you too. And so until that time, live everything, every day, every moment, every second for the glory of God and worshiping him. And so in Genesis chapter 46, we read, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 47, we read kind of what the writer of Hebrews has in mind. But before we go over there, it says that when he was dying, now this is about the time when when Jacob is more or less on his deathbed and he's about ready to walk through the door of death. He begins to bless both the sons of Joseph. Now, in the Old Testament, you have the order of Joseph's son as Manasseh and Ephraim. But we have flipped them around. Manasseh was older, Ephraim was younger. And and here, Jacob is is an old man. And there, when he goes to bless Joseph's sons, he switches his hands around to give the first blessing to the younger one and the second blessing to the older one. Kind of like he received from his father. And it's interesting, when we read about all these different tribes, they're all named after the one who is the original son of Jacob. So the, the descendants of Reuben are the Reubenites, etc. But you don't have the Josephites. You just don't. And what you will discover is that Jacob gave a special blessing to Joseph's sons or his grandsons here. And this is the scene in which 
the Bible speaking of. But notice here, it says that he worshipped. He was worshipping God as he was leaning upon the top of his staff. Now, I want to show you something here, because if you're a student of the Bible and are attentive to extreme details, you're going to notice that the language in Genesis is very different than the language in Hebrews. And so in Genesis chapter 47, verse 31, we believe this is the verse in which the writer of Hebrews is quoting. And it says, and he said, swear unto me, and he swear unto him. And Israel, or Jacob, bowed himself upon the bid's head. Check it out now. It says the bid's head, the head of the bid. But here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, it says that he was leaning upon the top of his staff. So what's the deal here? Why does one say one thing and the other say another? Well, the reason why is because the writer of Hebrews is not, he's not studying to the best of our understanding because he was consistent in this throughout all of the 13 chapters of Hebrews. He generally consulted the Septuagint and that is the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Hebrew. And so the Hebrew says that he was leaning upon the head of the bed. But the Septuagint said that he was leaning upon his scepter or his staff. Or his cane. The full picture is, the reality is, it was probably both. He was an old man on his deathbed, so he's sitting on his bed, leaning on the head of the bed, while he has his staff in his hand. Now, that being said, we see in Genesis chapter 48, he blesses Joseph's sons. In chapter 49, he begins to bless all of the rest. And, and, and as he's blessing them, it's almost as if he's being a prophet and, and speaking on behalf of God to his children. Remember, in fact, during this blessing, this prophetic blessing, he is literally calling out his firstborn, Reuben, for the thing he did. We won't get into that, but you can read it for yourself. But he did not repent. And so Jacob, in this Genesis chapter 49, I believe God is speaking through, his, through Jacob to his, to his son Reuben and says, you've got to repent of your sins if you want to be right with God. In other words, you've got to reverse your entire mentality about who God is and about God's word. And you've got to come to the realization that you have sinned and you trespassed against God. And you've got to say, God, I am sorry. I have sinned. What I've done is wrong in your eyes. Please forgive me. And then in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob walks through the doorway we call death. And as he's giving this blessing to his sons, he's going back to those times when God reaffirmed to him what he said to his grandfather, which became his father. Isaac was part of that promise. And then Jacob was living out the beginning stages of this massive promise that God gave to the Israelites. And then it was a couple of hundred years, about two or three hundred years after Jacob, when many of these things came to ultimate fruition.
whatever promise God has in this book right here, you can believe it with all your heart. And Jacob was telling his sons, listen, I haven't seen all the land yet. I haven't seen the massive nation yet, but one day we're going to have it. And I believe what God said because I saw God face to face. I have never seen God face to face. I doubt many of those who claim they have as well. But what I have seen face to face is the black letters on a white page called the Bible. And the Bible literally says, there's times where it says that, that if even somebody came back from the dead, people wouldn't believe them because they have the prophets and the law. Today I have the Bible. I believe this book is the very word of God and that what it says will come to pass. And God has given me a promise that when, when I trust in Christ by faith and totally faith on faith alone, that I will cross through the doorway we call death and I will spend eternity with God in heaven. And I claim and believe that promise. I have retrieved the faithfulness of God in my own life. And I have received God's forgiveness in my own life. Faith in God produces worship of God. Did you know that 66% of American households own a pet? I know. Shocked my mind. Who would have thought? That's 87 million homes in America own a pet of some sort. No wonder why we're all broke. <laughs> and out of those, dogs are the most common with 65 million homes owning one. Cats are the second most popular animal in the American home with 45 and a half million homes owning a cat. And lastly, can't forget this one, 11 million households own a pet fish. How many of you, just by a show of hands, at one time in your life or right now, have owned or own a pet? I think just about all of us have. How many of you right now own one in your house? God bless you. Yeah. You know, most of us have owned an animal at some point. And to be totally honest with you, that either made you fall madly in love with animals or it made you just absolutely despise them. You know, I think that we can learn a valuable spiritual lesson from the pets that we have in a home. And that is this. Just as you feed that cat, just as you feed that dog, they view you as master and Lord. Every time that dog comes up to you with that slobbery, juicy tongue to lick you in the lips... It should remind you of the word found right here in the Bible. Worship. If you do any word study in this word, you'll realize that just as a dog lays down and licks his master to give him honor, reverence, and homage, the Bible says that worship from man to God is man laying prostrate down on his face and saying, God, you are worthy to be my master and Lord. What can we learn from Jacob's faith? Worship. So let me ask you something. On a scale of 1 to 10 today, 1 being extremely poor and 10 being extremely amazing, 
How would you rate yourself from one to ten about how well your life is as a worship to God? Faith in God produces worship of God. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.